Passes to India, Chapter 9, Part 1. Aziz fell ill, as he foretold, slightly ill. Three days later, he lay a bit in his bungalow, pretending to be very ill. It was a touch of fever, which he would have neglected if there was anything important at the hospital. Now and then he groaned and thought he should die, but did not think so for long, and a very little diverted him. It was Sunday, always an equivocal day in the East, and an excuse for slacking. He could hear church bells as he drowsed, both from the civil station and from the missionaries out beyond the slaughterhouse, different bells and rung with different intent. For one set was calling firmly to Anglo-Indian and the other feebly to mankind. He did not object to the first set. The other he ignored, knowing their efficiency. Old Mr. Graceford and young Mr. Sorley made converts during a fame mine because they distributed food. But when times improved, they were naturally left alone again. And though surprised and aggrieved each time this happened, they never left with learned wisdom. No Englishman understands us except Mr. Fielding, he thought. But how shall I see him again? If he entered this room, he disgrace of it would kill me. He called to Hassan to clean up. But Hassan, who was testing his wages by ringing them on the step of the veranda, found it possible not to hear him, heard and didn't hear, just as Aziz had called and hadn't called. That's India, all over. How like us. There we are. He dozed again, and his thoughts wandered over the varied surface of life. Gradually they steadied upon a certain spot, the bottomless pit, according to missionaries, but he had never regarded it as more than a dimple. Yes, he did want to spend an evening with some girls, singing and all that, the vague jollity that would culminate in voluptuousness. Yes, that was what he did want. How could it be managed if Mr. Callender and had been an Indian? He would have remembered what young men are and granted two or three days leave to Calcutta without asking questions. But the major assumed either that his subordinates were made of ice or that they repaired to the Chandrapur bazaars. Disgusting ideas both. It was only Mr. Fielding who... Hassan, the servant came running. Look at those flies, brother and he appointed to the horrible mass that hung from the ceiling. The nucleus was wire which had been inserted as a homage to electricity. Electricity had paid no attention, and a colony of eye flies had come instead and blackened the coils with their bodies. Huzur, those are flies. Good, good, they are excellent. But why have I called you? To drive them elsewhere, said Hassan, after painfully thought. Driven elsewhere, they always return. Huzur, you must make some arrangement against flies. That is why you are my servant, said Aziz gently. Hassan would call the little boy to borrow the step ladder from Mahmood Ali's house. He would order the cook to light the premise stove 
and heat water. He would personally ascend the steps with a bucket in his arms and dip the end of the coil into it. Good. Very good. Now what have you to do? Kill flies. Good. Do it. Hassan withdrew the plan almost lodged in his hand and began to look for the little boy. Not finding him, his steps grew slower and he stole back to his post on the veranda but did not go on testing his rupees in case his master heard them clink. On Peter the Sunday bells, the East had returned to the East via the suburbs of England and had become ridiculous during the detour. Aziz continued to think about beautiful women. His mind here was hard and direct, though not brutal. He had learned all he needed concerning his own constitution many years ago, thanks to the social order into which he had been born, and when he came to study medicine, he was repelled by the pedantry and fuss with which Europe tabulates the facts of sex. Science seemed to discuss everything from the wrong end. It didn't interpret his experiences when he found them in a German manual, because by being there, they ceased to be his experiences. When he had been told by his father or mother or had picked up from servants, it was information of that sort of that he would that he would found useful and handed on as occasion offered to others. But he must not bring disgrace on his children by some silly escapade. Imagine if it got about that he was not respectable his professional position too must be considered whatever major calendar thought aziz affaired the properties though he did not invest them with any moral halo and it was here that he chiefly differed from the englishman his conventions were social there is no harm in deceiving society as long as she does not find you out because it is only when she finds you out that you have harmed her. She is not like a friend or God who are injured by the mere existence of unfaithfulness. Quite clear about this, he mediated what type of lie he should tell to get away to Calcutta and had thought of a man there who could be trusted to send him a wire and a letter that he could show to Major Calendar. When the noise of wheels was heard in his compound, someone had called to inquire. The thought of sympathy increased his fever, and with a sincere groan, he wrapped himself in his kilt. Aziz, my dear fellow, we are greatly concerned, said Hamidullah's voice. One, two, three, four bumps, as people sat down upon his bed. When a doctor falls ill, it is a serious matter said a voice of Mr. Syed Muhammadin, the assistant engineer. When an engineer falls ill, it is equally important, said the voice of Mr. Haq, a police inspector. Oh yes, we are all jolly important. Our salaries prove it. Dr. Aziz took tea with our principal last Thursday afternoon, piped Rafi, the engineer's nephew, Professor Godbully who also attended, has seeked to, which seems rather a curious thing, sir, does it not? Flames of suspicion leaped 
up in the breast of each man. Humbug! exclaimed Hamidullah in authoritative tones, quenching them. Humbug! most certainly, echoed the others, ashamed of themselves. The wicked schoolboy, having failed to start a scandal, lost confidence and stood up with his back to the wall. Is Professor Godbully ill? inquired Aziz, penetrated by the news. I am sincerely sorry. Intelligent and compassionate, his face peeped out of the bright crimson folds of the quilt. How do you do, Mr. Sayyid Muhammad, Mr. Hug? How very kind of you to inquire after my health. How do you do, Hamidullah? But you bring me bad news. What is wrong with him, the excellent fellow? Why don't you answer, Rafi? You are the great authority, said his uncle. Yes, Rafi is the great man, said Hamidullah, rubbing it in. Rafi is the Sherlock Holmes of Chandrapur. Speak of Rafi. Less than the dust, the schoolboy murmured the word diarrhea, but took courage as soon as it had been uttered, for it improved his position. Flames of suspicion shot up again in the breast of his elders, though in a different direction. Could what was called diarrhea really be an early case of cholera? If this is so, this is a very serious thing. This is scarcely the end of March. Why have I not been informed? cried Aziz. Dr. Panna Lal attends him, sir. Oh, yes, both Hindus. There we have it. They hang together like flies and keep everything dark. Rafi, come here. Sit down. Tell me all the details. Is there vomiting also? Oh, yes, indeed. Sir, and the serious pains? That settles it. In 24 hours he will be dead. Everybody looked and felt shocked, but Professor Godbully had diminished his appeal by linking himself with a co-religiousness. He moved them less than when he had appeared as a sufferer individual. Before long they began a to condemn him as a source of infection. All illness proceeds from Hindus, Mr. Hugg said. Mr. Sayyid Muhammad had visited religious fairs at Allahabad, at Ujjain, and described them with biting scorn. At Allahabad, there was flowing water, which carried impurities away, but at Ujjain, the little river Sipra was banked up, and thousands of bathers deposited their germs in the pool. He spoke with disgust of the hot sun, the cow dung and marigold flowers, and the encampment of sadhus, some of whom strode stark naked through the streets, asked what was the name of the chief idol at Ujjain. He replied that he did not know. He had disdained to inquire. He really could not waste his time over such trivialities. His outburst took some time, and in his excitement, he fell into Punjabi. He came from that side and was unintelligible. Aziz liked to hear his religion priest. It soothed the surface of his mind and allowed beautiful images to form beneath. When the engineer's noisy tirade was finished, he said, 
That is exactly my own view. He held up his hand, palm outward. His eyes began to glow, his heart to fill with tenderness. Issuing still farther from his quilt, he recited a poem by Ghalib. It had no connection with anything that had gone before, but it came from his heart and spoke to theirs. They were overwhelmed by its pathos. Pathos, they agreed, it is the highest quality in art. A poem should touch the hearer with a sense of his own weakness and should institute some comparison between mankind and flowers. The squalid bedroom grew quiet. The silly intrigues, the gossip, the shallow discontent were stilled, while words accepted as immortal filled the indifferent air. Not as a call to battle, but as a calm assurance came the feeling that India was one. Muslim, always had been, an assurance that lasted until they looked out of the door. Whatever Ghalib had felt, he had anyhow lived in India, and this consolidated it for them, for he had gone with his own tulips and roses, but tulips and roses do not go. And the sister kingdoms of the north, Arabia, Persia, Fergana, Turkestan, stretched out their hands as he sang, sadly, because all beauty is sad, and greeted ridiculous Chandrapur, where every street and house was divided against itself, and told her that she was a continent and a unity. Of the company, only Hamidullah had any comprehension of poetry. The minds of the others were inferior and rough. Yet they listened with pleasure because literature had not been divorced from their civilization. The police inspector, for instance, did not feel that Aziz had degraded himself by reciting, nor break into the cherry guffaw with which an Englishman awards the infection of beauty. He just sat with his mind empty, and when his thoughts, which were mainly ignoble, flowed back into it, they had a pleasant freshness. The poem had done no good to anyone, but it was a passing reminder, a breath from the divine lips of beauty, a nightingale between two worlds of dust, less explicit than the call to Krishna. It voiced our loneliness nevertheless our isolation, our need for the friend who never comes yet is not entirely disapproved. Aziz, it left thinking about women again, but in a different way, less definite, more intense. Sometimes poetry had this effect on him. Sometimes it only increased his local desires and he nev never knew beforehand which effect would ensure. He could discover no rule for this or for anything else in life.